welcome back to The Indie, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm your host, Molly McEnany, and this week I'm here with Bradley Bennett, owner and principal pickle of Pacific Pickle Works in Santa Barbara, to talk more about the local manufacturing industry, as well as the beginning of his company. Thanks for joining me on the show. Hi, Molly. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So, Brad, I have to start off with asking why pickling? What about pickles did you love so much that made you want to start this company? <laughs> it's a good question. One I still sometimes ask myself, how did I get here? But it really just started with me liking food, you know, as a baseline thing. And then I always loved olives and sort of vinegary brined things. And so I tried my hand at making olives once and I got a a load of raw olives from Santa Barbara Olive Company, which at the time still had an operation here. They've since sold and that operation's been uh, moved off to another area. But the owners gave me a bushel of raw olives and I tried my hand at making it and I realized what a long and arduous process that was. And then I said, oh, pickles, you can make those, you know, quick overnight. And so I started experimenting around with that and came up with some recipes that I really liked. And But it was really just a hobby before. And I did it kind of around the holiday time or kind of right towards the, you know, end of summer, fall and ended up giving away a bunch of jars of pickles and pickled green beans and asparagus and things like that as holiday gifts. And people really liked them. And so I did it again the next year and refined our recipes and did that for a couple of years. And people really were putting pressure on us. Oh, you got to make sure you're going to do that again next year. Right. And so after a while I found out, you know, we were making like 40 cases or something crazy at holiday time. We're like, we got to stop doing this or else the about, well, would this thing really sell? So we said, well, let's brand it and put it into some stores at the time and got on and went from four stores to eight stores, to 20 stores. And next thing you knew, it was a full fledged business. Wow. I mean, of course, family starts off as your number one supporters for business, but Pacific Pickle Works began in 2010 officially. Can you talk about some of the first products you started pickling that became popular and how the company has grown product-wise since then? Yeah, the first batches were just sort of a spicy garlic spear of pickles, you know, like a quartered spear. And we decided, well, if we're going to put these in the stores, we need a line of products. So we started out with four core products. And I think at the time it was pickle, green bean, asparagus, and pickled beets. I figured out the process for each of those and really was using a very similar recipe. Those four initial products all kind of had the same brine flavor and spice profile. So we started with those four products for the first handful of stores that we went into. And then pretty soon after that added a carrot. And then um, I think not long after that, we, you know, I started experimenting around with different flavor profiles for brines. And so we came up with this pickled fennel, which is done in a rice vinegar based brine with a little citrus zest and ginger and Thai chili. It's a little sweet, a little spicy. And so that was sort of our first foray into different um, flavor profiles. And then from then, I think it was the Brussels sprouts, which we did in a sweet I think we did that and our sweet bread and butter style pickle chips after that. I was never a sweet pickle guy, but I finally found sort of a semi-sweet flavor profile that I actually like and have come to love, um, which is just sort of a black pepper, onion, and mildly sweet um, sort of profile. So we did two products out of that, including the Brussels sprouts, which we did as a as a sweet product 
which really work to sort of counteract the natural bitterness of that vegetable. And it's sort of similar to how a lot of restaurants, you know, they'll caramelize Brussels sprouts to make them kind of sweet on the edge to sort of uh, work well with that vegetable. So this is sort of the pickle version of doing that. And then we started to expand into uh, other things, doing drink mixers. We'd go to these festivals and demonstrate our pickled vegetables, which are great as Bloody Mary garnishes. So we'd make little Bloody Mary samples. And people were like, man, you need to bottle that. That stuff's great because we were making it from scratch. And so I decided to just bottle the seasoning essence. So the concentrated Worcestershire sauce, which we make from scratch actually here in our factory. And then we add in, you know, the horseradish and lime and other spices that would go into a Bloody Mary, but it's just the special sauce. So you buy your own cheap tomato sauce, wherever, or tomato juice rather, and then just add our concentrate to it to make large batches of Bloody Marys, which works great for restaurants and hotels too that go through a lot of Bloody Marys on the weekends. And then we expanded that into more savory brunch type drink mixers. So we make a michelada mixer and we sell our pickled juice basically in a bottle. We call it pickle brine, but it's a Pickle juice that's it just in a bottle with no pickles, and it's used a lot in bars for their picklebacks, which if you're not familiar with it, is just a shot of Irish whiskey with a pickle juice chaser, which is kind of all the rage, started on the East Coast years ago, and everybody is doing it everywhere, and so uh, our pickle juice gets used a lot for that. And then we added a handful of other new pickles you know, over the last few years and added a whole uh, restaurant food service line with larger format pickles in five-gallon buckets that are used in lots of restaurants from Los Angeles up to Paso Robles, sort of in our sort of immediate delivery area. And that's kind of where that's all gone, at least under our own brand. Now we also manufacture for a handful of other brands, including a large brand in Australia that we export to uh, every few weeks, large container loads of pickles and continue to scale that manufacturing side of our business as well, because there are a lot of brands out there looking for people to manufacture their goods for them. And it's funny you bring up pickle juice. I know it is it is all the craze right now. People just drinking pickle juice after they're <laughs> done with the pickles. It's very funny. But now in terms of manufacturing, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Why was Santa Barbara the spot okay. to set up this business? Was it because it was kind of Central Coast area? It's beautiful. Honestly, it's just because I live here. Um, I've you know, I was born and raised here. I went away to college in San Luis Obispo, got a degree in architecture, believe it or not, and came back here, worked for about 20 years in the software industry and had, you know, set my roots here. No real intent to leave. And you live here, so you know why would anyone want to really leave Santa Barbara as long as they've got some some roots here. Uh, and so uh, I was fortunate enough to buy a house before things went totally nuts. They were just sort of nuts at the time. So for me, it was a matter of, okay, we're doing this as a side business. We were borrowing kitchen space initially when it was just a very small business. And then in 2015, uh, we got a, a small industrial space about a mile from my house. I can ride my bike here. Everybody that works here lives you know, in relatively close distance. So for us to move the business to somewhere more economically viable, would basically mean somebody else running it and operating it. And it would be taking jobs away from people here that depend on them. And I would no longer manage it because I'm not going to be moving to, you know, inland LA somewhere or some other state where it's cheaper to do it. But from a business standpoint, yes, it would make a lot more sense uh, from a real estate perspective and labor perspective to do it somewhere else. But then it wouldn't be a business that I'd be interested in running anymore. Yeah. 
And you're located right on Union Street in the Lower East Side of downtown, and that's pretty central to the community. So how has Pacific Pickle Works worked with the community or in collaboration with other small businesses around Santa Barbara? Yeah, I mean, we're right in the heart of this industrial area. As a matter of fact, to those that uh, live here and are familiar with the name, I call it the Marburg District because Marburg, our, um, our local sanitation company, has bought up all the real estate around us and continue to do so when things um, crop up for the expansion of their facilities. And so it's actually, and it's actually been a great neighbor for us because they have lots of heavy lifting equipment and stuff. And sometimes when we get in over our head, uh, they'll see us struggling across the street and come over and help us out with some sort of heavier lifting equipment. And they're all super nice people and they tolerate when we have to load trucks out in the yard or right out in the street and we tolerate all their stuff going by. And, um, and I actually, uh, laugh sometimes about the fact that we have a really great trash control problem here because not only do we have the trash resources next to us, but if you've been in and around this area, you may have seen, they have a falconer right on their property that, um, controls all the, like the seagulls and the other sort of nuisance type birds and crows that would otherwise be feeding on all the trash, you know, at their facility, but it also keeps us totally bird pest free um, during the days as well. So we get to benefit from that relationship as well. But, you know, as far as the community goes, we're down here on the Lower East Side. Um, there are restaurants and other businesses around here. We, you know, we participate as a Lower East Side business and some of the sponsorship of things like the, you know, the Christmas like decorations and parade that is set up by Senor Guzman, who owns the Taqueria El Bajio near us. So many of the employees literally live in this area. They see our sign that we have jobs available. They can walk um, or they live in the neighborhood nearby. And there's no parking in this area. So there's a lot of very micro area residents that work for us. And yeah, it's just, it's nice to be able to keep the business here and support some of the folks that live in and around this area. Definitely. And now I know a part of the brand is these very fun, cheeky names for each product. Could you share some of your favorites? <laughs> uh, favorite products or favorite names? Favorite names that you've come up with over the years. <laughs> well, people ask us oftentimes how we come up with these names. And to be honest, the majority of them have been crowdsourced. So they've been sort of through the ringer versus me just thinking that I'm being funny or someone here thinking that they're being funny. And so what we would often do with a new product is we would post, hey, we've got this new product. This is what it's like. You know, like, for example, you know, when we first did uh, our pickled green beans and, you know, a friend of ours, you know, watching that, well, a bunch of people submit ideas, but, you know, it was a friend of ours who put forth the idea of jalapenos for our pickled green beans instead of, you know, being jalapenos is jalapenos and sort of a little quirky mashup of words. Some of these things sometimes create confusion because people will read it too quickly and they'll think it's just a jar of jalapenos. So we do get a little marketing confusion out of certain things, but like names like asparagusto, you know, is pretty obvious. But the idea always was that try to convey some sort of zest or like heat or spiciness in the mashup of this name that you come up with. And so, you know, cucarambas, uh, which later became I cucarambas to sort of make a little bit more um, obvious that it was just taking, you know, I caramba and sort of working in the cucumber name into that. There are some that work better than others, depending on the, uh, the 
age of the audience, for example, chariots of fire, people often misstate as, can I order your chariots on fire or carrots on fire or carrots of fire? I'm like, no, you know, the 80s Academy Award winning film, um, chariots of fire. And then people who are under 40 years old sort of look at you with a blank stare and be like, okay, maybe it's maybe this one is outlived. They're like, I thought they were just spicy carrots. Yes, I just wanted exactly. to. <laughs> and even though Chariots of Fire has nothing to do with the product itself, it was just a cheeky kind of name. So some of them work better than others, but they're kind of fun. You know, we get a little flack sometimes for our Brazil sprouts, you know, which is sort of a play on, you know, just the Snoop uh, LBC kind of lingo. Um, but it's just a fun way to convey, you know, something that's got a little zest or spice to it or a little sizzle in a sizzle sprout. Um, but yeah, for me, I mean, I always loved that initial jalapenos. I thought that was a great one, um, that someone came up with. And one of our fun new ones was, uh, the no big dill when we came up with our new, uh, sort of baby, kosher dill pickles so we call them no big dill but you know everybody always has a joke about being you know a big dill or you know anything like that so this one was no big dill um and of course the one that my mother always hated and said shall this pickle shall not be named in our household was our mother's puckers which she i think always grimaced at a little bit but has actually been one of our most popular products and i think people enjoy the name despite how you might want to interpret it (laughs) And do you feel that there is this push for creativity in your product and even in the structure of your company? I mean, you call yourself Principal Pickle. Did you feel like that creative edge was missing from other brands in the market? Um, No, I think it's something that's just more like when you look at pickles, it's just like, how could you ever take it seriously? Like Completely. You know, pickles have such a sort of a fun and funny place in the food industry um, for all kinds of reasons, whether it's just the double entendres that come from a pickle or just the weirdness of that someone took this shriveled up little cucumber, you know, and made it into something that is like a national pastime. So for me, it was like, well, you know, let's not try to be all so serious and edgy, you know, like we might be if we were coming up with the next, you know, greatest like coffee brand or power bar or something, you know, and it's like, we need to be, you know, fun and cheeky about it. But I do find, you know, that we've, as we've gotten into it, that I think a lot of pickle companies have that same viewpoint. So in general, in the industry, I think you see a lot of playfulness in the brands and the names and the marketing, but, you know, everybody's just sort of enjoying that same freedom in that space. Yeah, yeah. The creativity of food showcased and and the labeling and actual marketing of it, it can still be fun. So how did you initially pitch your brand to wholesalers like Whole Foods and Sprouts? What was the grocery industry something that you wanted to eventually get into as a small business or did it happen more organically over the years? You know, I think I was kind of viewed as a necessary evil. Like if you're going to get into this brand, you know, into this space, you're not going to be able to grow to this or scale to the size to make this a viable business unless you get in and play the grocery game because you can go running around selling to individual mom and pop stores, but you have to go out and make every one of those sales and you have to distribute to every one of those individual partners. And it's not going to be until you land uh, a few chains here and there that you'll be able to start 
shipping product, you know, by pallet loads to distributors rather than, you know, doing it all onesie twosie. So I uh, I would say it was within the first couple of years or so we'd expanded. Like I said, when we first started, our first store here in town was uh, Say Cheese, little cheese shop that's over on Santa Barbara Street. Um, very quickly after that, I think we added in a few others, including Lazy Acres Markets, but all as individual stores. And those first four stores, oh, in Tri-County Produce down here on, on Milpas and some of the you know local grocer and sort of in that gourmet natural space. And then it went to eight stores, 12, 20. And it was somewhere when we probably had somewhere between 20 and 30 stores that uh, it just so happened a friend of mine was wearing one of our T-shirts coming through the line at Whole Foods. And one of the cashiers was like, Pacific Pickle, what is that? How come we've never heard about it? You know, and and of course, my friend who is a seasoned marketer says, "What you've never heard of it?" And so immediately started to play the well. Geez, you guys need to get in the know here. Let me connect you with someone, and they handed off my card to what at the time Whole Foods had a position called a local forager, and their job was to literally look for locally based products to bring into the store because that was their whole sort of focus and energy. They've since abandoned that whole system of sourcing products and have moved everything to be very corporate, which has removed a lot of that local sourcing. I mean, they still might bring in local products, but you have to play the whole game up through the corporate ladder to get there now. But at the time, I was able to meet someone in that position who was a lovely person who was genuinely looking for you know, responsibly made, clean label, clean ingredient, you know, no preservative type stuff and local. And she brought us in and shepherded us through the process. It was a very arduous process for someone that was such a small company at the time. I mean, they're talking about terms and qualifications and things that we did not have nor knew even knew what they were at the time. But we went through the process and they got us into three or four stores to start and that went well. And that person got promoted to the kind of the region level and put us into maybe 15 stores. And we continued to service those all by hand for the first couple of years. And when it came time, and it was coupled with a lot of expansions in our business, including moving into our permanent facility and going attending our first uh, major trade show, and then that necessitated getting a distributor. So we immediately won both the Southern California and the Northern California regions for Whole Foods, as well as a handful of other smaller regional chains that all pulled through the same distributor and got us a seat in with that distributor and therefore started doing that type of business on a much larger volume. And I think it probably sounds all like wonderful and a great like growth story, but the reality that we've you know come to learn over the time is that working with the distributors and some of the other larger chains, and I'm not pointing a finger at Whole Foods in this case, but just as we've you know come to, to know some of the others, that it ends up being a very challenging, if not abusive type relationship with some of these companies over time, especially as a small guy, you know, where every mistake that gets made and the burden of proof is on you to prove that it was someone else and they might withhold payment for an entire pallet of goods, which might be $5,000 for the stuff that, you know, $5,000 to a small company like us is at the time was a difference between making payroll or not. And then to have to go through months of fighting to prove that it was their mistake, not ours. The fact that every discount and promotion that happens in the stores comes out of your pocket and not out of the retailer, the grocery store, who, you know, you're, who's getting way more margin anyway in selling those products, but yet they take 
every last penny of your margin whenever you want to run a promo and all the ancillary fees and charges and things that happen along the way, both of the, you know, from the stores and from the distributors basically sucks away any chance of profitability that you have. So when other business owners come to me saying, Hey, you know, I'm interested in starting this business. Wow. You guys have been so successful. Tell me about it. You know, I, I really will give people the the truth about it because it's a very challenging uh, business to be involved in. And it's it can be very challenging to deal with a lot of those things and see a lot of your hopes and dreams get shattered by the requirements to, to play in this business. Yeah. And, and on top of that, I mean, in the last year, there's been noticeable supply and crop issues for the regional California ag industry, which inherently impacts companies who need those crops to produce their own products. So I, I know you have a wide range of pickled products, but were there times when you had to consider pickling some new vegetables that were more available or how has this affected your business in the last year on even, you know, aside from the pandemic? Yeah. You know, I, I still, I view most of this uh, supply chain stuff as being pandemic related, but you know, it's like as the, 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 the reality of the impact fades away and the supply chain issues still exist, it makes you really wonder, you know, was this just something that was waiting to happen anyway and was just exacerbated initially um, to push it over the edge of the pandemic or not? I don't know. I think the the long-term answer to that is still yet to be known. But for us, the supply chain issues have made our business more challenging than ever. You know, we're working harder uh, on a daily basis just to source the things we need to do our business. And in many cases, paying way, way more, and in some cases, more than double what we were before for certain types of uh, jars and bottles that we use, depending on where it's being manufactured. And some of that's even for domestically produced materials or domestic producers. Granted, have increased costs of business, but there's still a lot of them inflating their material costs just to match what the international price of, of materials coming in is um, just to be able to enjoy some of that additional margin. And that's where us being on the ground floor, we see that where that inflation is coming from. Now, I don't get to turn around and pass that to my consumer because even though if you look at all our materials of the things we use from the food product, the ingredients, the jars, the cardboard for the boxes, the metal closures for the lids, we've seen about an average of 40% increase in those materials. So by nature, you would translate that into, well, obviously, we have to increase the price of our products by 40% for us to remain a viable business. And if we could and retain our sales, then we might still not be hurting as much today. But the reality is, is I know in my heart, there's no way I can take something that might be a $10 jar. It's already a premium price jar of pickled green beans or something like that. And then all of a sudden start charging $14 for that. I don't think the consumer is going to tolerate that. And so we're kind of stuck as the last mile that has to absorb a lot of these upstream price increases in our materials and hope that they will settle back down and sort of find a happy medium. So we're just this month right now have put forth our first price increase ever as a business. And we're only increasing our prices, our wholesale prices by seven and a half percent. That's a fraction of what we are being handed by our suppliers. And I still fear the pushback of that because for a lot of products, it means we're going from below $10 to above $10 here, not only adding, you know, the seven and a half percent, but you're adding a, um, you're adding another digit to the price, but the price increases are mostly in the glass. That's the worst of all the labels and any materials that have paper or other 
type of thing in it. Paper pulp prices have gone up, you know, 35 to 40% over the last couple of years, which is huge. Our metal closure is about 25%. The only thing, surprisingly, that really hasn't moved that much for us is the price of produce and the availability of produce. So the actual cucumbers. So kind of back to your initial question, did we have to change, yeah, the things that we're sourcing? Not really, because it didn't become any more difficult for us, you know, by pickling cucumbers. And that's probably because, you know, a bunch of pickle companies didn't necessarily pop up overnight. As a matter of fact, several of my competitors that I know actually shut their doors during the pandemic um, just because they couldn't tolerate the, the business changes. And it's already a tough enough business that but then to be handed all that, it's like, well, forget it. We can't you know, make a profit. For us personally, you know, we've been at this for a long time, but we were just barely cresting into profitability as a company prior to the pandemic. But this has totally reversed a lot of that and shoved us back into the red. So we're still on a mission of trying to improve our cost structures and optimize our, um, you know, our labor and our efficiencies in manufacturing and trying to realign a lot of our material sourcing because and move from ones that, you know, were taking advantage of the situation, charging too much, and sort of pushing that competition back around, which hopefully ultimately will bring those price of materials back down to where we can find that that profitability again and continue to grow this business. But yeah, it's been a huge, huge challenge for us this last couple of years, this last year, especially just because, you know, for the first year, it was just a heyday, man. People were just buying everything. We were, our business was up 75% in volume in the first year of the pandemic. This year, we had some continued small you know, amount of growth, you know, about 20% growth um, in the second year of the pandemic. But now, as we go into this sort of third year of things, this is where we're really starting to see, you know, business has slowed back down to sort of normal levels. People aren't stocking up on grocery items or doing all this mail order, but yet all our material costs are way up. And so just trying to balance all that is proving to be a, a major project for us. Yeah, 100%. And I think even over the last three years, so much has shifted year to year. As you said, it seems like, you know, in the beginning, everyone was buying bulk of everything and staying home and and buying a lot of food in the grocery stores. And now that things are people are going out, uh, it's, it's changed a little bit. But it's also true because, you know, pickling companies aren't the only companies that use glass jars or use all of these other actual products that are needed to pickle things. So that's also interesting on top of it. But do you think there is a unique situation along the Central Coast that you've seen or even specifically in Santa Barbara for manufacturers? Like, is there a universal dilemma that you think needs to be solved for the Central Coast right now regarding, you know, small businesses? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I could put my finger on that as a particular region, but, you know, I think it's probably a global issue. But if we at least look at this nationally, like these material supplies continue to be our biggest challenge. And for a while there, and like you said, other products are putting demand on like the same jars. So a lot of jars that we do a lot of our pickled vegetables in and our pickles in, it's called a salsa jars because it's used for salsa used for all kinds of condiments like that and that kind of stuff, you know, being manufactured in bulk by major manufacturers. And so as the demand was going, they were just, it was a land grab and they were just taking all the supply. And so we literally had to kick and scream as a small producer and say, Hey, you know, we've been buying truckloads of this glass from you, you know, for the last few years. And now all of a sudden, because, you know, some other larger supplier needs all this glass that you're just going to completely leave us high and dry. But, 
even when that did become available, it was at a 50% premium as to what it was just a year ago. And so, when you know, that's a hard pill to swallow just overnight and say, oh, you had a jar that was 40 cents and now it's 60 cents. That's a huge amount of margin that's being taken away from you. And so I think that's what the real challenge is for a lot of the suppliers. You know, a lot of us sort of work together sometimes to just find supply for these types of things so that we can continue to operate our business. And so I'll find myself on the phone sometimes with competitors because it's a friendly competitor sort of industry that, you know, we have and say, hey, you know, you haven't any luck getting this stuff from here or there or the other guy and, you know, share stories and figure out who's able to get us, you know, what we need. Um, And so that's been part of the solution. Like I said, the produce wasn't as big of a problem, but the other one of the real big impacts that affects every industry is just the cost of uh, shipping. There's been so much increase in uh, consumer activity that drives more manufacturing, which just all across the board just increases the amount of freight. And for a while there, you know, you couldn't even schedule a truck to come pick up your stuff, let alone the fact that you're going to pay 50% more to get that load across the country. And so then in reverse, when we're trying to pull supplies from across the country, not only is the cost of that glass increased, now it's costing me more to get it here because a lot of these glass manufacturers are out east or in the Midwest. There's none really here in the West Coast. So we're always paying a premium for glass supply and lid supply, particularly those two things. So if you want to regionalize it as to a problem in this area, I guess that would be one because you know, if I live, you know, in Virginia or Louisiana, where a couple of our glass manufacturers are somewhere in that region, it would cost a whole lot less to get that glass delivered to me than it does here on the West Coast. Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think it's super important to note how even though California has one of the biggest economies and ag ag industries here, there's still other things that go into actually running a company and other states are more well known for those kinds of things, those kinds of goods. And it's a combination of a bunch of things. But I do want to ask what's to come for Pacific Pickle Works to end off. I know you recently expanded. So are there new pickle products in the works to grab new customers and get people excited again? (laughs) Yeah, um, that is always one of those challenges of this business. Sometimes we get so mired in the day to day that we forget that we have to continue to be inventive to keep customers interested we did bring out a couple of new products just in our standard pickle line, which honestly we hadn't added anything to in years. So uh, that was kind of fun. One of them is a very timely piece called Pandemic Pickles. And that is our first, you know, truly hot, spicy habanero spiced pickle. And it has kind of a cheeky, fun label on it. And even though the name itself isn't one of these weird mashups like we were talking about before, and the packaging is sort of like, you know, danger, danger. This is, you know, a possible hazard, careful when you're opening, it might be spicy, you know, just sort of a little cheeky play on on that. Uh, we'll see how long that marketing and branding uh, does well for us. But it's uh, interesting, has become our uh, number one seller in all our direct-to-consumer sales, like through, you know, mail order, Amazon, and all that kind of stuff. So that's been kind of a fun experiment. And also because it's the first time we've done a really spicy thing. We used to, our whole line used to be mildly spicy. That was sort of our profile. It was like, we want it to be hot enough to have some fun and intrigue in the flavor profile, but not so hot that it burns your face off so that you don't want to eat, you know, three or four of them. So this one is for the true hot pickle lovers. 
and then the no big deal, which we talked about before, which is um, a sort of baby, like smaller, crunchier pickles, but with no heat, no spice, no sugar added, just a straightforward sort of kosher uh, deli style dill pickle. So those ones are fairly new to our line, although they've been in place for about a year or so now. I can't give away details on this completely yet, but we are launching a whole, our plan now is that we're working on a whole additional uh, line of a little bit more value-driven uh, product line that will dovetail with our manufacturing, co-manufacturing that we do for other brands uh, that will give sort of a standard line of pickles that people can purchase and white label for whatever opportunity uh, that is without having to develop new recipes because a lot of times people come and just say, hey, I just need you know a range of pickles. Boom, here's that product. But as part of that, we'll be introducing a value line of pickles to the marketplace that will address uh, different market segments that we haven't generally been a good fit for because everything is non-GMO verified, uses a lot of organic ingredients, a lot of hand cut stuff, a lot of hand packing of things here. Uh, that's what makes a lot of our existing products very expensive. These ones, even though they will still be all natural and hand packed, they'll be products that are a little easier to to assemble so that we can do higher volume and just the, the packaging and everything will be more geared towards a value line so that will be maybe a better fit for some of the larger conventional grocery chains rather than just the truly all natural chains that we exist in uh, today. So that's something that we're working on. Awesome. Well, that sounds very exciting. And hopefully everything turns out well and everyone likes the new stuff coming out. I mean, I'm sure the pandemic pickles are are a hit, like you said. I mean, everyone, anything themed pandemic right now, people are like, oh, I got to try it. I mean, we're all still dealing with it at the end of the day. But is there anything else you'd like to add before we head out for the day? You know, you know, I guess the only other side of the business, which we didn't really talk a whole lot about, that we uh, had just started to grow before the pandemic, which the pandemic completely shut down was our restaurant and food service business as those you know restaurants all had to close down and we're not really looking for these kinds of products but then uh, as we've come out of that we've sort of reignited this line and this is our you know five gallon buckets of you know pickle chips whole pickles that are used by delis restaurants burger chains craft sandwiches delis that whole kind of thing you know and we don't have a big sales team so we don't have a lot of feet on the street to get out there and sell these things, but we've been seeing a lot of growth in the side of our business, servicing you know a few areas where we've been able to penetrate, and we do some exporting of these uh, items. But you know, one of our things that we need to spend some time growing, and if you're a local restaurateur and you're listening to this, we've got your only fresh, completely preservative-free, locally made pickles for your restaurant, or Bloody Mary mixes for your brunch programs and michelada mixers. So. Yeah, that's that's an area of our business that uh, we're starting to see some good growth in. And we'd love to bring more people on board with these types of products so that they're not having to buy general commodity made stuff from further afar. Yeah, especially as everyone up opening up their doors again, you know, State Street is still closed down, lots of outdoor seating still, but great. Well, thank you for sharing so much yep. today, Brad. I really appreciate you coming and joining me on the show. Yeah, well, I appreciate you having us on. It's always nice to get some fresh PR and getting uh, exposure out to our, our local community. And it's been a while. So I appreciate you bringing us on and giving us that opportunity. Of course. Yeah. Local spotlight for the week. Pacific Pickle Works in Santa Barbara. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day, Brad. Thank you, Molly. You too. If you'd like to see one of your favorite local businesses spotlighted on the Indie, please reach out to podcast at independent.com. 
once again, I'm your host, Molly McEnany. Tune in next week for another episode. 